Hey, hope you're keeping well and welcome to the podcast. Cheers for clicking in. Today's episode is a little bit different. It isn't an interview. It's me chatting and I wanted to jump on to share a couple of things and also talk about a change I'm making. I want to thank you as well to those who are sharing the podcast. I really appreciate it. I can see the podcast grown in different countries and I've mentioned this before. I know there's new listeners, but I genuinely just want to say thank you so much to all of you sending it around to your friends because that's how the podcast grows. This isn't one of those podcasts produced by a radio corporation. I I produce it and yeah, I really appreciate it. And to those of you who are leaving ratings and reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, really appreciate that too. Thank you so much. That also really helps the podcast be found. So on Spotify, on both of them, you can leave a five-star review and on Apple Podcasts, you can leave comments as well. And yeah, just genuinely thank you so much. As you know, I am in Christchurch, New Zealand, moved here about three months ago. And I just want to share a couple of things that I've been working on that I've come across, which I think you'll like. So at the moment, I'm writing a new book, and I decided to write this a few weeks back because I understand that when you're being challenged, you grow. And this has come up in so many podcasts. Off the top of my head, I can remember Johnny Cooper and Ezen was talking about it in using two different kind of analogies. Johnny Cooper said that when he wins in All-Ireland, after he leaves the field and goes back into the dressing room and takes off his jersey and hangs it up on the peg and starts togging in, he parks that and then thinks about the next mountain to climb. And then Ezen Asewa on the pod said that after he and his Leinster teammates would have won European Cups. He'd be in the dressing room after with Johnny Sexton and the lads and they'd be talking about going winning another one. This is so true. I didn't get it when I was younger. I remember achieving certain things, winning certain things, and you want to sit with it and hold on to it for a while, but you can't. And it's the same with playing a match. Like if you win a match on a Saturday, you can't hold on to it for a few days because if you do that, you're going to lose next weekend. You have to park it. And that's a good thing. I just think it was a bad thing that you couldn't kind of sit and bask in that. But it's a good thing because it forces you to focus on the here and now. So, using the analogy of a match, when you accept that you can't hold on to the wins and the trophies and all that, sure, of course, you can look back and be proud of what you achieved, be it winning a match, winning a trophy, whatever. But you can't hold on to them. You have to find the next mountain, the next challenge. And when you understand that, it allows you to 
detach from winning. And what I mean by that is you start to focus on the here and now. And if you're playing a match on a Saturday and you're training on a Monday or Tuesday, the here and now is not the match. The here and now is kicking, passing, tackling, lifting weights in the gym, whatever it is. And you're fully immersed in that. And then as you go on, you stay fully immersed in what you're doing. Then when you're playing, you're fully immersed in playing. A big reason why people get anxious around matches is because they're too attached to the outcomes. They want to win too desperately that it starts to cripple them. And when you can not care about outcomes, you perform better. This is the same if you are going into a job interview. If you desperately want that job or you desperately need that job, you're going to put out a certain kind of energy. Whereas if you don't care about the outcome of the interview, you're relaxed. And when you're relaxed, you can perform your best. That might seem a bit weird. It might seem a bit counterintuitive, not caring. But that has come up in the podcast as well. Malon Al-Jabouri spoke about it and it was funny. He was just riffing off and he was talking about when he plays his best rugby and then at the end he called himself like, oh no, I don't, I don't mean that I don't care. But when I don't care, I play really well. And it was so funny uh, thinking back. And he's so right. It's that would be that one. You know, I was then reflecting back on myself playing. And I find it really helpful in my coaching now to understand this is the way I do it. And I'm only, I'm always learning. And maybe there's better ways. But the way I approach my coaching now is not caring about the outcome of the game on a Saturday. And instead, caring about how I coach and how I prepare the players and giving all my energy into what I'm doing here and now. If it's a video review on a Saturday or Monday, if it's coaching during the week, I'm fully invested and immersed in what I'm doing and I try to completely let go of the result. I understand this. I might be talking a bit in riddles here because... The work as a coach is to help your players be their best selves, to help them win games. But yet you can still detach from craving that win yourself. And even as a player, when you detach from needing or wanting that win, it allows you to become present when you're playing. And that is when you play your best rugby. That is what the flow state is, is being present. And you can also, of course, be in the flow state when coaching, 100%. You can be in the flow state when you're painting, when you're cutting the grass, when you're cooking your dinner, whatever it is. It's when you're completely present with the task at hand. And it's huge for players because if you think back to when you played anything, If I asked you, describe to me how it felt or what you were thinking when you played your best, 
what people always say is, oh, it felt like I had all the time in the world. It felt like everything was going to work out. I just wanted the ball. I wasn't worried about anything. I wasn't thinking about anything. I was, it was like I was in autopilot. That's the present moment. And so that's the goal as a player, coach or person in life. Because you can flow through life as well. And outcomes are things that only exist in your head in the future. You think about it when you're playing a match, 10 minutes in, there's no actually no such thing as a final result. You're just playing. You're just doing what's happening now. One coaching book that I have been influenced by with regards to this, I read it a few years back, is The Score Takes Care of Itself by Bill Walsh, who was the San Francisco's 49ers coach. But this is also taught a lot in Eastern spirituality and philosophy, in Buddhism and Taoism. They talk a lot about being present and one of the biggest tools which you'll be aware of is meditation. Meditation is a tool to bring you back to the present moment. And I made the mistake when I was starting out or when I first heard about meditation. I used to think, like a lot of people do, that effective meditation means stopping all your thoughts. So I would hear all this stuff, oh, meditation's great, it helps me so much my mental health, it helps me perform better at XYZ. And I would say to myself, geez, I want all these benefits that these people are talking about. So I would sit down, I would close my eyes, and my mind would be racing. I'd barely be able to sit still. I'd try hard to stay seated for 20 seconds, and I'd go, oh, this isn't working. Or else I'd do it for two minutes, and I'd get up and I'd go, there's no way that helped, and I would stop doing it. But meditation is not stopping your thoughts. Meditation is practicing bringing your awareness to one thing. So that one thing is usually your breath. So you feel your breath going in through your nose, into your belly. You feel your waist and your stomach expanding. And you bring all your awareness to that. Then what will happen is you'll start to think about things. You'll start to think about what you got to do later in the day. You'll start to think about something that just happened. And when that happens, you bring awareness to it, and then you try to bring your thoughts or just think about your breathing again. And that is what the skill is. And the more you practice it, the better you get. And that's why meditation is such a great thing I have found and so many other people. I get flustered and stressed and all that the same as you do. And I, what I do is meditate every morning because it gives you a grounding and 
it relaxes you. But then, of course, during the day, you get a few emails, you have a few calls, and you're running late, and this happens, and that happens, etc., etc. And you can feel yourself getting a little bit stressed and overwhelmed. Well, that it's at that point that you just stop, put a timer on your phone for three minutes, five minutes, whatever you can. And even if you feel like you don't have time, you're better off doing this. And you put that timer on and you stop, you relax, you meditate. And it just helps you so much. It helps you kind of release that energy. And so that's why you'll see high performers. You see LeBron James on the side of the court during timeouts or during breaks in the quarter, just closing his eyes, relaxing into his seat and breathing. You see high performers everywhere doing it. And that's, yeah, it just takes your mind out of the future and into the moment. And I'm sorry, I've gone a bit of a tangent there. But before I move on, I just want to give another analogy of the letting go of outcomes or another story. So imagine if you are in a sales job. So let's take two scenarios here. The first scenario is you're behind on your sales numbers. There is not many days left to go in the quarter and you feel like you desperately need to make sales now. You will have a restless anxious energy about you and could start to get frustrated very quickly or you'll be on edge, put it that way. And I used to think that that was very necessary for me to perform at my best as a player. I thought that I had to be that way, that I had to be anxious, a little bit stressed, a little bit worried about whether I'd win or play well. I thought that's how I had to be. But scenario two for the sales call is you don't need to make the sale. And you pick up that phone and you're relaxed, you're chilling. You're going to have so such a better chance of actually making the sale than you do in scenario one. How you implement this in your life is you tell yourself, I don't care about X. So if it's, if you're a player, if you're a coach, if you're in a sales job, if you're whatever you're doing, tell yourself, whatever the outcome is, say, I don't care about it. I don't care about how many sales I make this quarter. I don't care about how many calls go well. I don't care about if we win or lose this weekend. I don't care about. And just keep telling yourself that. Because what happens when you tell yourself is your subconscious mind hears it. And everything you say to yourself, you say directly to your subconscious mind. So by you telling yourself, I don't care about if we win or lose, I don't care about if we win or lose, and you keep saying it, you'll start to not caring about whether you win or lose. And when you stop caring about 
that outcome, you'll play your best. And when you play your best, you'll be happy. And you'll also give yourself and your team the best chance of winning. Same when you're in work. If you're not stressed, worried and anxious about hitting that target or making that sale, you'll perform at your best. And when you perform at your best, good things happen. So it's very important to have your self-talk dialed in. Similarly, if you are telling yourself, oh, I'm useless, I'm no good, I'm crap, I'm not, not X, Y, Z isn't going to work out, you're telling your subconscious mind that and you'll start to believe that you're useless. You'll start to believe that you're crap. There's no benefit to you to doing that. Why would you do that? And once again, there's something I didn't realize a few years back. And I read a book called The Power of Your Subconscious Mind, which was from the 70s, I think, but so informative. And I'm just recalling some stuff from it now. But yeah, be very aware of what you tell yourself. Because it's powerful, it's nearly everything. If you think about it, you can say to yourself, I'm the man, I'm the woman, I'm going to kill it today. Or you can say to yourself, I'm useless, I don't even know if I'll play well today. Whichever you are saying over and over in your mind, you know has such a massive impact on how you actually perform. And I understand that it can be challenging to have good self-talk if you are in the habit of putting yourself down, if you have conditioned yourself to speak negatively to yourself. And something that you need to do then, if you feel that or find that your internal conversation is very negative and you're kind of always putting yourself down. What you should do is, when that negative voice goes in your head and says, oh, you're useless, Brian, you're not going to play well today. Be aware of it. Stop it. Say to yourself, no, actually. And like literally have a little conversation with yourself. But stop that voice and challenge it as if it were another person. So by challenge it, what I mean is that voice goes in your head and it says, oh, Brian, you're useless. You're not going to play well today. You say, no, actually, I don't agree with that. If I think back, I've played a lot of very good games and I've performed really well in challenging situations. And so you're actually way off the mark by saying you're useless and you're not going to play well today. First of all, I'm not useless. And there's no reason why I shouldn't play well today. Because I've played so well in the past. And if I'm honest, I've probably played well more than I've played poorly. And also, if I'm honest, I know that I am capable of incredible performances. So, actually, you're way off by saying that. And that's literally the kind of conversation you have. But it's very important that you stop that 
thought and challenge it. And the more you do that, you start to turn it around. And then think back of the times you played well, the times you performed well, the times you did well. And let that be what you're thinking of. Because we as humans have a tendency, we're conditioned to focus on the bad stuff. Be that in our, in our own performance or in life. And the way this plays out in society is you turn on the news in 1960, 1970, 1980, 1990, 2000, 2010, 2020, or today. And 90% of it's going to be negative. They're going to be telling you about all the stuff that's going wrong in the world, all the murders, all the bank robberies, all the this, that, the other, you name it. And the reason they do that is because they want to get your attention. And they know that negative stuff is what we focus on, what grabs our attention. And it's funny because when I work with teams, I'll say, oh, how did, how did that go? And they'll say, oh, we should have done this better, we should have done that better, we should have done the other thing better. And it's only after, you know, that I've been coaching teams for a while that I'll kind of nearly explain to them, hey guys, I don't, I don't want us to just constantly be t- saying what's wrong and could be better or what's not good. Because there's, there's not a huge benefit to that. If you think about it in life, right? And this is an issue that I had growing up with the way coaching was for the most part. I had some great coaches, but I had some not so great coaches. And what they used to do was find the thing you didn't do well and tell you about it and tell you that you needed to work on it for 15 minutes before and after training. And then when you got better at that, they'd tell you the next thing you weren't doing well. And so all you were hearing was your deficiencies. Oh, you're not good at your left-hand pass. Practice that. So you go off and you think, oh, I'm not good at that. And you practice, you practice, you practice. You're not good at the way you step or whatever, I don't know. And so you go off and you practice that. And you are just conditioning yourself to think about and focus on what you don't do well. Now, of course, if you constantly do that, you're going to think you're no good. Whereas, if you just focus on your strengths, or there's different schools of thought here. David Galbraith, someone who I hugely admire, just read his book, had him on the podcast here. He talks about moments of perfection or moments of shit. And he says, as a coach, just focus on the moments of perfection. Another school of thought is the 80-20 rule, which is focus on your strengths 80% of the time, focus on your weaknesses 20% of the time. And yeah, somewhere between the two, but you get the idea, just focus hard on your strengths. Because what happens then as well is your confidence goes up because all you're thinking about and looking at is what you're doing well. Your self-esteem goes up and those strengths become better. So it's a win-win. It's just wins all around the place. 
Whereas if you're focusing on your weaknesses, you'll start to think you're crap. Your self-esteem will go down, your confidence will go down. And yeah, you might get a little bit better at that weakness, but no, focus on the strengths, amplify those. Another idea or ideology, I don't know where this comes from, but is what you focus on grows. That's true with your mind. You focus on good things, you'll see more good things. You focus on bad things, you're going to see more of them. I'm working on my next book at the moment, as I mentioned, and I'm about three chapters in on the rough draft. There's going to be eight chapters. And a rough draft is what it sounds like. It's me with an A4 copy book, writing with a pen and paper, sitting down at the desk every morning after I go to F45 at 6am, I come back, I sit down for at least an hour and just write. And I've learned from experienced authors that you have to just write and it's not going to be perfect. Don't expect it to, but just write. And then when you go back over, you can edit it. This book is general. It's not sports related, although it's of course tied in with everything that I'm about, which I've realized is helping people be happier and more successful. When I started this journey, I was focusing on young rugby players. And those are the two things that I was focusing on. I wanted the players to be happier, to enjoy their rugby more, and to be more successful. It then grew to rugby players of all ages. It grew to people in different sports. So I remember when I was in Ireland over Christmas, I'd be doing talks in schools, and they would say, oh, well, could you talk to our hockey girls as well? And I was like, yeah, of course. And then over here in Christchurch, I have been doing talks for coaches of hockey, netball and cricket. Um, and then on Monday, actually, I have a talk with a netball team, uh, senior girls in a school. And then also within the podcast, you know, people in business would say, oh, it's helping me with the work I'm doing in business. So this next book is geared around that, helping you be happier, more successful, getting better results. And the first chapter is about getting your vision and getting crystal clear on your vision and where it is you want to go. And this is the same with the book on how you become a pro rugby player. The first chapter of that is titled, What is Your Goal? And this is the first step because this is where people fall down. They don't have goals, so they drift around, or they have really small, conservative goals, quote-unquote, that they know they'll achieve, which they set out of fear of failure, or also subliminally a fear of rising up. They don't want to be great. I believe that. Well, that's how I felt anyway. You're kind of doing what you're doing. You know you could do more, but you don't. 
And I think this is a case for so, so many people. You know deep down that you could be doing way more than you're currently doing. You've greatness within you, but you just feel stuck in a rut and you're just doing this same old thing and it leaves you unfulfilled. When I moved over to Christchurch early Feb, I was having lunch with a guy involved in the club, an old boy, Alakadu, essentially an ex-player who's now in his 60s. And we were chatting and then the door opened. In ran, you could hear, bundling down the corridor, his grandson. Len was the granddad. And Len said, oh, hey Nico. Said, this is Brian. Brian's a rugby coach from Ireland. And Brian, this is Nico, my grandson, and he plays with Burnside under nines. And we said hello and... Len said, Nico, do you know that Brian works with professional rugby players? And Nico's like, oh, his eyes lit up. Len said, Nico, tell Brian what your dream is, what your goals are. And Nico said, oh, you know when you go into Burnside Rugby Club, on the wall, going up the stairs... There's photos of all the All Blacks that have played with the club. Well, when I'm older, I want my photo up there. And I just thought, sick, love it. And it reminded me. I think I might have mentioned this on one of the earlier solo episodes, but I'm not sure. But when I was about seven or eight years of age... I would be watching Ireland play with my dad in the front room and then on Saturday mornings I would go to Ballina Rugby Club, my local club and on the walls were the green jerseys of players that had played with Ireland and I think there might have been like four and my dad's was one of them and I just thought, like, at Nico's age, seven or eight, like, how cool is this? At that time, my whole world was Balna because there was no internet. I was a kid, and going down to the rugby club or the Gaelic club was just the extent of my world. And I just thought how incredible that was. What an achievement. Like, you get to put your jersey up on the wall forevermore. And every person that goes in sees your jersey up there. Like that is, that to me was just incredible. Along with, of course, like playing for Ireland. Like that was just, I was just like blown away by how mad that would be to get to wear green jersey and represent your club and then put it up on the wall. I was just like, anyway. That was just mad. And so I asked my dad, what's the youngest age that you can play with Ireland? Because I had seen like under 21, A, senior. And I just wanted to know the youngest one. So dad said it was under 18. And from that moment on, 
I had a vision. I had a dream of playing with the Ireland under-18s and getting my jersey up on the wall there in Ballina Rugby Club. I used to be able to see, visualise myself playing in that green jersey. Playing for Ireland and also having my jersey up on the wall. For years and years throughout my teenage years, I held that vision in my mind. I visualised it so hard. This was obviously before I even knew what the word psychology meant. Never mind sports psychology or mental skills or anything. And I could see it so vividly, just in my mind, that I could feel it. To a point where when I would go out kicking ball or playing with my friends at times, I felt like I was actually playing for that Ireland under-18 team in that green jersey. And then when Nico told me that story, I just loved it. And he, I'm sure as well. And you've been there too. But Nico, I bet, and I'll have to ask him next time I see him, but I bet he can visualize, imagine his photo up there on the wall with all the other all-black players, Razor Robertson being one, and he can feel himself playing for the all-blacks or he would dream about it when he goes to sleep at night. And that is so important and so powerful. And a few days after that happened, after I was chatting to Nico, I was chatting to a couple of people and I was like so impressed and happy and it gave me such a good feeling hearing Nico because I love it. Like I just love it. I love hearing people dreaming big and having big ambitions. And I was telling the story to a couple of people and they were saying, oh, you're across the road with Len. And I was just saying, yeah, and great man and was telling the story about Nico and how his dream is to play with the All Blacks when he's older and to have his photo up on the wall. And as I said it, one of the people threw their eyes up to heaven and said, oh, don't we all? And completely dismissed it. And I was just like, I didn't know how to react. But anyway, we probably moved on, changed the conversation, and it just got me thinking. So I for a period was like that too. I would dismiss people with big dreams. I was negative and if somebody said, oh, did you hear of Tom or Mary or whatever, they want to achieve this, I'd be the one throwing my eyes up to heaven and saying, oh, don't we all or whatever. And it's sad because so many people in society, I think, are like that. People stop dreaming big when they get older, by and large. But you shouldn't. There is no reason why you should stop dreaming big. You have to have big dreams. And, of course, the reasons why people stop dreaming big is they fail once or twice and they say it's not for me. Or they're afraid of what other people will think. Or they lack self-belief and confidence. And those different things hold people back. And instead of dreaming big and going after the things they want to do, 
like Nico or like me when I was seven or eight. They just settled for this ordinary existence. And once again, I've been there. And now I've gone back to being like Nico is. Or being like I was when I was seven or eight. And I promise you, from my experience, life is so much more enjoyable, dreaming big, and going after those, versus living an ordinary existence that doesn't challenge you, that you don't enjoy, that doesn't light you up, doesn't give you anything. And Richard Branson said, which I love, if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. Life is just way too short to not go after things. It really is. And I've heard this said so many different ways. Just finished reading a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying by Bronnie Ware. And she was a nurse who cared for palliative patients, which means patients who are dying near the end of their life. And over years, the number one thing that patients kept saying to her were, Bronnie, I wish I had the courage to live a life that was true to me and not the one that others expected of me. Denzel Washington has a famous speech where he says, imagine you're on your deathbed and surrounded around you are the ghosts of the ideas that came to you that you never acted upon, the ghosts of your potential, what you could have been, what you could have done, but you didn't. I'll actually put that speech at the end of this podcast because it's a good one. And so, yeah, life just really is too short. And you never know how long you've left. I've heard it explained with the analogy of life is like a sand timer. So you can see the sand going down, but with life, the top half is disguised. You can't see the top of the sand timer. You can see the sand going down, and you can see the sand at the bottom, but you have literally no idea how much sand is left up top. And so yeah, life is just too way, way too short to not go after your goals and dreams. I fully believe that. And so yeah, going back to chapter one, the new book, what I'm working on, it's about getting that vision and dreaming big. You know what it was like when you were a kid. I know for a fact, I bet you you can remember how big you used to dream. When you were a kid, before life bet you down, or it beats a lot of people down. And that's just your mindset change. And every great achievement first happens in your mind. You have to see it in your mind first. And the key is, is to have a very big vision in your mind and hold it there. So going back to sport. If you are an athlete, see yourself with that gold medal. See yourself winning that trophy. Hold that picture in your mind. If you're in business 
and sales, you're doing sales, see yourself as the number one producer. Have a very clear vision in your mind of you being that person, of you achieving that. And the challenge is having that picture every day. I'm not going to for a second say to you that it's easy. Yes, when things are going well for you, it's easy to think about achieving that thing. But when you get a setback, that's when it's challenging. When things aren't going your way, that's when it's difficult to continue believing. But it's at those points that you have to. So many times people get a setback. Me, I've been there, I'm just speaking from experience. You get a setback, a big one, and you think, oh, it's not for me. I had this dream, I had this vision, but, oh, the going gets tough and you get going the other way. (laughs) You, You go out the gate. And everything worth achieving is difficult. A very simple saying I love is, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Yeah, of course it's difficult. Of course there's setbacks. But setbacks are just the universe or God, whatever you believe in, testing you to see if you want it enough. There has to be setbacks along the way. There's no avoiding them. Don't even try to avoid them. Accept that they're going to happen. Understand that they're just tests to challenge you. By which when you get through them, you will be better. You will have grown as a person. And another tool that you can use around this mental imagery, and I talk about this in the book on how you become a pro rugby player, is you can create a vision board. So if you think about the success that you want to have, think about different things around that life. So let's use the business example. If you want to be the number one sales producer, you might see yourself with that plaque. You might see yourself in that new corner office. You might see yourself driving the new car. You might see the new bank balance, whatever it is. But there'll be many different images within that. And it's the same in sports. If you want to win an Olympic medal, you will see yourself on the podium with the medal around your neck. You'll see yourself finishing the race. You might see a homecoming. You will see yourself on TV. There'll be many different visual images. And so what you do is create a vision board and you print out those images that you see in your mind and you put them in places that you'll see them every day. So put them in your bedroom, put them in your car, put them in your bathroom, wherever. So you're seeing yourself achieving it. And what this does is it feeds into your subconscious mind. And the more you see it, be it on the wall in your bedroom or be it in your mind, you start to believe it, you start to become it. And the reason that it's good to have it on in physical form on the walls of your bedroom or the bathroom is because it just keeps showing it, but also 
during the challenging days, it can be difficult to get it visually in your mind, but you can still keep seeing it in front of you. And then that'll trigger it visually. And this has been used by people forever. Muhammad Ali said, I am the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. So what Ali is saying there is, before he was the best boxer, before he was the greatest boxer, when he was an up-and-comer, he was telling himself, I am the greatest. He told himself, I am the greatest. Kept telling himself that, and then he became it. You see this often with fighters. I'm the champion, I'm the champion. They they literally, when I'm talking about impressing on your subconscious mind, you say this thing so much that you actually kind of brainwash yourself. Like what Ali would have been doing was brainwashing himself into 100% believing that he was the greatest. And then it happens in reality. Because this is what manifesting is. And you... You just take on that energy, you become that. And when you, be- you have to become it first, you don't wait to win the Olympics to feel like an Olympic champion. You feel like an Olympic champion mentally. And then when you have that mentality, you'll train like it, and then you'll become it. Same with Ali, same with these fighters. Whatever you're doing, You can't see yourself as the 30th best salesperson in the office and expect to be number one. You got to see yourself in your mind as being the number one salesperson in the office. You got to hold that vision. You got to tell yourself that. And then it'll happen, not the other way around. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you just tell yourself this and it happens. No, no, no. There's a lot to it. There's other steps to it, but this is a very important one. You know, if you tell yourself, oh, I'm the 30th best salesperson in the office, and you start seeing yourself as that, that's all you'll ever be. So why not see yourself as number one? Like, literally, what's one downside to that? But yeah, I'm enjoying writing the new book. I know I've gone a few tangents here. It's a process, but... I'm really excited by it, really, really excited by the idea, the framework that I've put down in the outline. And the change that I mentioned at the start that I wanted to announce why I'm jumping on here is when I started this podcast, one of the key reasons was that when I was a young rugby player, I didn't hear players I admired, players at the top level speaking about what worked well for them, what challenges they had, how they got through them, all those different things. I genuinely thought that every single player at the top level never had any challenge, never had any mental setback, mental challenge. I thought everything was always great for them. And so whenever I got an injury or got dropped or whatever you name it, I thought, oh, well, it's not going to work for me because this happened. And so I wanted to have a podcast for those players like I was when I was younger, and I felt that there wasn't one out there that was doing that. 
The podcast was never meant to be about rugby. It was meant to be about the mental side of success. And because of that, I get DMs and have gotten DMs over the while of people saying, oh, I play basketball or soccer or sailing and I love your podcast, even though it's rugby. Someone sent it on to me and said, oh, it's you'll enjoy this. It's not really about rugby. It's more so about X, Y, Z. And then people, CEOs and people in business saying, oh, you know, I really enjoyed the episode with whoever, whatever coach and what he was saying I'm going to implement with my team in the office. And that's what it was always meant to be. And along with that, over the time since I've started the podcast, I've gone from working one-on-one with young rugby players to working one-on-one with rugby players of every age, then athletes, and now people in business. And then with the talks as well, started off with just rugby, then other sports, and now I'm starting to go into businesses because it's it's all applicable. And I just realized that the name of the podcast is not applicable. It's not what it is really. It's not what it says in the tin or what people may think it is, putting rugby on it. And so I'm changing the name to the Brian Moyler podcast. If you've listened to other episodes of the pod, you'll know me, you'll know what I'm about, you'll know what I'm interested in. And once again, while I started with sport, what I'm truly interested in is happiness and success and how you become happier and more successful. This journey started five years ago for me, which I've talked about in the past when I fell into a depression and since then started learning more and more about the mind myself. And I have found that you can just get happier and happier and happier and more and more successful. And that there are formulas for this there are game plans for this there are things you can do that will help you the same way if you get a gym program if you do those things those exercises you will get stronger and I've just seen it my own life and that's the journey that I'm on and with this podcast and that's what it was always about Because if I take it back to my own journey before I started the podcast, before I started off-field rugby, I realized that through learning about the mind and through putting different things into practice, I became happier than I ever was. And I started playing better rugby than I ever had. And then I started implementing these things in other parts of my life. And you'll have heard the conversations over this podcast. And it's not going to change it's going to be better. It's going to be more of what it has been. I'm speaking to, I have some interviews lined up with some really cool people, really, really cool people. And if you are one of those OGs, a rugby player or a rugby coach who's been here from early days, you're going to still love the podcast. You're going to love it even more. Because, to be honest, uh, for a while, 20 or 30 episodes ago, 
I was feeling a little bit constrained about the kind of guests I would get on and what I could do with the podcast because I had that rugby tag. Whereas I found that these lessons can be learned from high performers in any area. You know, I read books and learn from high performers in other sports or other disciplines like other writers or oh, you name it, anything else, anyone who performs, there's learnings to be had from all of them. And the same with, you know, chatting to academics or different people. My Instagram, at Offfield Rugby, is going to stay there. I'm also going to start using my personal Instagram, at Brian Moylet Moore. My LinkedIn stays as Brian Moylet. With regards to talks that I'm doing, yeah, I'm based in New Zealand, and it's already branched out into sports, business, and schools. So going to keep doing those. I love doing those. I find public speaking a bit like playing in a way in that it's a challenge, a big challenge, and I get the nerves before it the same way I would have before a match, and I use the tools before it that I was using before matches and I was playing, like breathing, visualizing positive outcomes, and other little mindset tools like thinking about how good I will feel after I do it, thinking about or seeing myself as somebody who walks toward pressure and challenging situations because they know they'll grow from it and anyway, a few different things around that. And then one-on-one, the people I work with, athletes from all sport and people in business. So if you want to be happier, more successful, get better results, send me a DM on Instagram, at Brian Moylet, at Offfield Rugby, or you can contact me through my website, which is offfieldrugby.com. Thanks a mil, as always, for being here. I greatly, greatly appreciate you clicking in. I know that there are millions and millions of podcasts and music on Spotify, and audiobooks, and there's everything in the world that you could be listening to right now. So I greatly appreciate you clicking in. Cheers, and thank you to the absolute legends that are sharing the podcast. Simply just send it to a friend and say, hey, I think you like this podcast, and leaving ratings and reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Absolute legends. Genuinely, genuinely. I know it's such a small thing, but I really, really appreciate it. Well, anyway, that's that. It's Friday evening here in Christchurch. As I'm recording this, it will go out Monday morning, Christchurch time. Sunday evening, Irish time. Or earlier, when if you're in Canada or North America, and that's going to be the weekly schedule from now on I'll be back next week with an interview and there'll be mostly interviews like they have been but I've been exploring some different opportunities here in Christchurch looking into some different things some some quite cool things and 
yeah, I'll jump on here with some updates or some learnings. If ever I've a learning or something to share that I think you'd enjoy and benefit from, yeah, I'll come on and share it. And yeah, thanks again for listening in. This podcast is going to continue as it was, but it's going to be better. It's going to be more of what you love while you click in. And this will now be the podcast to listen to if you want to be happier, more successful and get better results. But do you have the guts to fail? Here's my second point about failure. If you don't fail, you're not even trying. I'll say it again. If you don't fail, you're not even trying. My wife told me this great expression. To get something you never had, you have to do something you never did. Les Browns, a motivational speaker, he made an analogy about this. He says, imagine you're on your deathbed and standing around your deathbed are the ghosts representing your unfulfilled potential. The ghost of the ideas you never acted on. The ghost of the talents you didn't use. And they're standing around your bed angry, disappointed, and upset. They say, we, we came to you because you could have brought us to life, they say. And now we have to go to the grave together. So I ask you today, how many ghosts are going to be around your bed when your time comes? And let me tell you, the world needs your talents.